You know, as you think about the Christmas season, often there's all kinds of things that happen in the news that are just kind of interesting. Uh, People uh, use their resources, their time in a variety of different ways during the month of December. And if you notice that December can be a real busy month, you know, there's all kinds of things to do, places to go, people to see, people to connect with. And I was uh, interesting about one purchase that a particular group of people did. Uh, A man that most of us are at least familiar with in terms of who he is, uh, he was known as a rather intelligent uh, man. Albert Einstein, and he wrote, he wrote a letter. He, he wrote a letter that caught the interest of a lot of people, and it was written in 1954, at the age of 74, which was about a year between when um, he would pass away. And, and this letter was named, it's named the God Letter. And so that kind of caught my attention. And they just went on sale, an open market, and that particular letter sold for uh, a little bit more than pocket change. It sold for $2.9 million. And this is not a long letter. It's only maybe a page and a half. In fact, if you've got a big page, it'd be on one page. And, and it's written in reaction to, to a person he knew. It was a, uh, it was a philosopher who had written about his faith and, and religion and what he believed about God. And, and Einstein wrote back, and here were some of the things that he said in his letter. And in case somehow you missed the bid, uh, 2.9 million. It was really only 2.89 million, but uh, it sold for a rather large sum of money. And, and this is what he said in the God letter that's named by other people. And he said this, the word of God is for me nothing but the expression and product of human weaknesses. So if somehow you believe in God in the sense of the reaction to being able to know God in a personal way, he said that just, that's, just a, that's just a statement. There's something wrong with you. The Bible is a collection of venerable, old, maybe treasured, but still rather primitive legends which are nevertheless pretty childish. Now, if I had opportunity for Albert Einstein to talk with someone just personally, I'd probably introduce him to Thomas or Brighton and say, well, you know, it's childish to us, but we think it's true. Is that Jesus said, you know, unless a person becomes like a child, he'll never enter in the kingdom of heaven. And so a person has to see their need before they see and understand there is a person who can meet that need. And Albert got it right. It is a belief in God, a, a statement about human weaknesses, but it's not in that we believe there is a God, but it's a statement that we are weak and we need God. Interesting enough, and Albert Einstein has kind of a Jewish background here, Jewish descent, and, and so in his letter, he commented about the Jewish people. He said, you know, for me, I, I really don't think that the Jews are chosen people, which is, if you've ever watched or seen the, the play Fiddler on the Roof, uh, the main character about two-thirds of the way in says, I know we're, we are your chosen people, but couldn't you choose somebody else sometime? <laughs> because your chosen people doesn't mean, and even that's true now, if you're part of God's family, it doesn't mean everything in your life's going to go right. Have you experienced that? Now, you, you can get the same sicknesses some people have. You can, you can have trials multiplied in your life to the point where people are just alarmed at the, your ability to endure what you're going through. And, and then sometimes there's a connection. The reason you're going through a difficult time is not simply because you live in a fallen world. It's because you've identified with Jesus. There are places all over the world where people are dying simply because they say Jesus is Lord, that he's their Savior, and he's the only hope for this world. And that's happened down through history. And so, well, why would anybody want to be chosen into that if we have enough problems as it is, but if you come to know Jesus, the Bible says you can have your, your, your problems multiplied. The Bible calls that persecution or just the trials of faith. 
And it's interesting, though, when he said this, I don't think the Jewish people are your chosen people. He had, he had to see what had just happened. In 1954, Israel, after being 2,000 years without a homeland, they came back and became a nation. And he said this in this letter, as, my, as far as my experience goes, they're, in fact, no better than other human groups, even if they have been protected from the worst excesses by a lack of power. How do you explain the Jewish people surviving except the hand of God has been faithful to them and have not allowed them to be obliterated, though many groups have tried to do that? So Albert Einstein, and, and he had his opportunity, like we have our opportunity, to either look at the evidence about Jesus being a personal God and being God and, and realize that there is an opportunity to deal with your weaknesses by the one who has no weaknesses. Jesus was innocent, guiltless, because he was sinless and offers us an opportunity to have life, and it's either accepted or rejected. And, and you wonder, well, why is it that some people reject Jesus? Well, for some, it's, it's a primitive story that often what people look at when they look at the Christmas story. A little baby in the manger, three, three wise men, or at least three wise men, there might have been more, come and give them this, these lavish gifts. I mean, how, how can anyone believe that, that that actually happened? If it did happen, it means anything. Because it was just a baby like many babies that are born throughout history. And they see Jesus in the cradle, but they never get to the point where they say Jesus at the cross. And so this morning, what we're going to do, we're, we're going to look at someone, uh, some, not only someone, but someone's who saw Jesus at the cross, and it changed everything. That's often what happens with people. They just don't see Jesus revealed powerfully and and who he is and what he did, and, and particularly at the point of why he came. Jesus came to die and give his life a ransom for many. And you can, you can see dramatic things about and understand dramatic things about people, not only during their life, but at their death. Isn't that true? And there are people, we're going to see them in the morning, we're going to get through it pretty rapidly, is that their lives were forever changed because they came into seeing Jesus at the cross, not believing. And then they saw Jesus at the cross or going to the cross, and they left believing. So this morning, I want us to do something simple. I want us to consider the cross and consider what we ought to see at the cross. And in, in case I get a little muddy, let me, let me give you my main points. And the, the, the sub-points are just some simple observations about the main point. But the reason we ought to believe is because there's lessons to be learned from Simon, who was made to carry Jesus' cross, because Jesus needed help carrying his cross. Why should you believe? Well, one reason you could decide to believe is you looked at an individual named Simon, who, as far as we know, never even met Jesus until he was asked to carry the cross. And we're going to find out later that dramatically changed not only his life, but his family's life. Why? Because he considered the cross and Jesus on the cross. And then secondly, we're going to look at some warnings given some women. And let me be honest. Sometimes people think the Bible is against women. The women are often the heroes of the story. And he gives some warnings to women, and particularly but to women who are weeping for Jesus who was head of the cross. And he warns them, you need to be very, very aware that you might weep for me, but you ought to be weeping for someone else. And thirdly, we're going to look at the promise given to the Roman soldiers who are torturing Jesus on the cross. 
And the whole point I want to make this morning, it's compelling to see Jesus at the cross or headed to the cross and what that says about him. And then also what it says about us. And not only what we ought to believe, but how we ought to live. So let's, uh, let's get to it this morning. Consider the cross and consider it from, first of all, the lessons learned from Simon who was made to help Jesus carry the cross. Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 26. We're just going to read one verse, but we'll make some references to some others to kind of fill in maybe some of the lessons we could observe from. And you could add to these lessons. Jesus had just been sent by Pilate to be crucified because he could not uh, dissuade the, 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 the Jewish crowd from forcing him to take him and to execute him because he was a threat to them as far as being king of the Jews and the one who came to point out their sin. And then in verse 26, we see the journey. When they uh, led him away, and this is, this, is, uh, this is the Roman guard. They now took Jesus from being scourged and beaten upon and spit upon and ridiculed. Uh, when they led him away, and they were probably about four soldiers called a quartarion that were to escort him from where he had been to where he was going to the place of the skull. Uh, when they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the country, and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. Now, we're just going to stop here, and that's really all we see here. And if you look at the parallel accounts in, in Matthew and Mark, there isn't a whole lot of the detail there. And then, then all of a sudden, Jesus was going to the cross. He could not continue to carry it and make it to the place of crucifixion. The, the Roman soldiers who were, who were compelled to, to put this man, this peasant preacher that some called the Son of God, who came to take away the sins of the world, to bring them that place of death. And they began to be fearful. They said, well, if we're not careful, he'll die in the journey. He can't carry the cross. Now, interestingly, if you've seen crosses, and depending upon which historical document you look at, they'll be shaped various ways. But the traditional-looking cross, like the one behind me, is you have the one that goes to the ground, and then you have the cross beam. And probably the part of the cross that Jesus carried was the cross beam. He didn't carry both parts of it. And even the cross beam, however, would weigh up to at least 100 pounds, some say even 200 pounds. And in his beaten state, state even though he was probably a, a fairly sturdy man because he worked with his hands, he worked with wood and stone, and, and was probably in the prime of life in terms of age, right around 30 to 33, he had been beaten to the point he could not carry that beam any further. And here we have almost like a, like a detail thrown in here. Well, how did he get the cross to, 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 to this place of the skull? Well, the Roman soldiers looked around, and they, and they found someone who probably was pretty uh, filled with stature and health and strength and said, you carry this man's cross. Now, he's named. He's Simon. We know he's from Cyrene. And uh, Cyrene, what we, we know of geographically, he was from northern Africa. The text in Luke chapter 23 says that from the country. So he had just come in. And we don't know much about him, but probably from this leads to that account is that as he came in, he didn't know a whole lot about Jesus because he wasn't from, he wasn't from here. And he wasn't reading the Jewish Gazette every day, finding out about the, he wasn't going on Facebook, he wasn't going on social media, he wasn't Googling Jesus. So he didn't know a whole lot about Jesus. He might, might have heard a little bit as he got into town, but he, he maybe came there to to, to worship with the Jews. We know he might have been a Jewish man or he might have been a convert fr- from his own culture. But Northern Africa, probably, probably he was, his complexion was black. In fact, we need to recognize as we look at the, 
the Christmas story, not too, too many of them were white. Right? Maybe none of them were. And here he came from Africa, didn't know a whole lot about it. And here he's watching the crowd. And have you ever done that? You're, you're in town and all of a sudden there's a crowd that arises and you wonder, well, well, what's the crowd there for? And the only way to know what the crowd is there for, you go and you're with the crowd. And all of a sudden he begins to look and here's this man carrying a cross. And, and before he can get away, the Roman soldiers pick him out, draft him to carry the cross. Now, and on the point of this message, we're going to learn some lessons, some warnings, and a promise given. Well, what's the lesson here? If you, don't, <laughs> if you don't want to be volunteered for something you don't want to be volunteered for, you know, don't, 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 don't join the crowd, right? Get as far away from where you could possibly be, uh, be picked out to do something. But that's really kind of a, a, a know-nothing type of a, a lesson to be learned here, it is to realize sometimes you're asked to do something you don't want to do. Isn't that true? You ever been there? You're asked to do something you don't want to do. And I'm not talking about want, uh, asked to do something you don't want to do that you can't do, but asked to do something you don't want to do but you can do. And Simon knew he can, could do it, but he didn't join that crowd to carry a 100 to 200-pound beam, maybe upwards toward a mile, mile and a half, to get to that place of the skull. But can I submit this to you in, in looking at some of the bullet points? Sometimes it's best to do what you're told and even more. Imagine if, if, if I got asked to carry someone's huge beam on, the, on my back. I'd be, I, you, know, you know, if I wasn't cursing underneath my breath, I'd be, I, I'd be angry under my breath, right? Couldn't they pick somebody else? I'm not even in town here. Couldn't they pick somebody that, that lives here? I shouldn't have to do this. But, but, but being asked by a Roman soldier, in fact, four of them, he knew he couldn't say no, but I'm sure he was doing it grudgingly. Now, you, you never do anything grudgingly, right? Can we be honest in church? We, you know, we all do things grudgingly. But I was just thinking about this morning. In fact, it kind of choked me up when I was thinking about it. I, I'll bet you Simon, when he looks back at this experience, that he did not want to do, he did it grudgingly. It was not an easy task. He was able to do it, but, but it wasn't something that, that was, you know, like a walk in the park. He looks back at that particular task as the most blessed thing he was ever asked to do. Isn't that true? Can you imagine having the privilege of helping Jesus who came to forgive us of our sin and in a little small way on the day of days in which he was to be crucified, you had the privilege of carrying a cross and you're probably looking back, and here I was, cursing underneath my breath or, or just expressing anger to whomever wanted to listen. Why am I doing Why do I have to do And yet this is the most blessed thing that ever he was ever asked to do. And I, I guess the only option he had, he could have run from the soldiers. And they were probably so busy, they wouldn't have been able to run after him. But he looks back, I'm so, I'm so glad I, I, I stayed and was given the privilege to do something hard, but was also so blessed. And I throw this in for free as well. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 41, remember that passage where it says, you know, someone asks you to, to walk a mile, be willing to what, what? To do what? Walk two miles. And, and I think that's one of the lessons that we think about not only believing who Jesus is because how he manifests himself on the cross and all of this. But I'm sure now he, he looks back, not only was I willing to carry whatever I did for whatever length, I would have done it even further. And so we need to look at our lives and say, am I willing not only to do what I'm asked to do, but even more? Isn't that true? 
I'm not, I'm not talking about doing what you can't do, but what you can do, then be willing to do that and more. Secondly, I, I put it this way, and again, it could be said a lot better. It, it is always right to do what's right, and God rewards. And isn't that true? If something's right to do, then for no other reason, just do it because it's right. And here was a person in need. This is Jesus, and he learned later who he really was. And this is right to help people I can help. And, and then to recognize that, that God always rewards. And it might not be in this lifetime. It might be in the life to come. But God always rewards for doing that which is right. And yet we have, we have a glimpse into what was, what was the reward that Simon had. And I won't turn to the passage because of our time, but I'll paraphrase. In Mark chapter 15, verse 21, there is a further explanation of this man, Simon of Cyrene. And initially, I think this is like trivia. I hate to ever put the word trivia to the Bible, you know, Bible trivia. But, you know, if we only saw it in isolation, we might say this seems to be pretty trivial. It names his, his two of his sons. We don't know if he had how many children he had. But in Mark 15, 21, it says, oh, Simon of Cyrene... And Rufus and Alexander were his sons. And if you just saw that, and I need to know that why, right? And we all look at the genealogies at the time and go, uh, is there a reason all, all these names are listed here? And particularly in isolation, why did you tell us your sons are Rufus and Alexander? Well, you know, God, God uh, he had a hand in writing this book, and so he put it in here, this little detail, and you first read it, you go, well, I don't understand this. But in Romans, uh, Paul writes a letter to a church in Romans, and you know what he does there? He, he names some people. And when you first read, they go, and I, know, I need to know the names of these people. Why? It, it's interesting enough, in Romans 16, 13, it says, it says of the church, uh, it says, and give greens to Rufus, who has become a, a leader in the church, and his mother, who is a blessing to all as well. And if you connect the dots, and I'm not a great connecting, connector of the dots or a puzzle maker, put her together, you know, is, it's quite probable that what happened here is the blessing that Simon got because as he experienced Jesus going to the cross, as he helped carry the beam that Jesus would be placed on, that it impacted him so much that he came to faith, and not only did he come to faith, but his sons came to faith, and particularly Rufus, and his wife, for that matter, the mother of his children, and their whole family got transformed by Jesus and how he died and he, how he lived as he was going to death. It changed him, his kids, his, his wife, and his, one of his sons, at least one of his sons, became a leader in the church. He looks back at this day as the, as the grandest day of his life. But there's a, there's a, there's a challenge for us to, to think about as well because it's not about just Simon carrying a cross. I, I think Jesus told us that we're supposed to carry a cross. Carrying a cross is simply doing what God wants you to do even when it is difficult. And that, that's just a definition that, again, it could be improved on as well because we're not going to be able to be like Simon and carry the actual physical cross of Jesus. But Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if anyone come after me, let him deny himself and pick up his, what? Cross daily and follow me. But what does that mean? Well, the cross was a symbol of execution. It was a, it was a symbol of, of torture. You know, it was, I mean, if we were to picture that, we would say, well, uh, and put it on jewelry, you would say, well, have a, 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 have a noose as something that's coming off, off one of your bracelets or have a gas chamber or a firing squad or, you know, whatever it might be. 
because it was a symbol everyone knew of death. And what he was saying here, in fact, it, obviously, a person can only be a martyr once for God, right? If you give your life for Jesus physically, you only do that once. But he wants this to be a daily sacrifice for him. And what he's talking about here at cross, he said, are you willing to give a sacrifice? Are you willing to, to do what needs to be done, no matter whether it's difficult or at that moment you don't want to do, but you're doing it because you love me? And it was interesting, Simon, he, he didn't have a choice. Basically, he was, he was drafted to carry the cross. But we always have a choice every day, right? Are we, are we going to give our all to him? Are we going to be one of those herald angels, you know, giving out messages or sh- showing acts of kindness or showing love to people? Even when we don't feel like or want to, but it's always right to do right. And God knows us when we, we are loving, caring for his cause and for his sake. So consider the cross. Simon, and we don't know all the particulars, what it became convincing of that day, but seeing Jesus going to the cross, maybe stuck around to see him crucified at the cross, and it looks like some of the Roman soldiers came to faith because they saw Jesus in a completely different way because he saw Jesus at life and at death, and it convinced them this is no mere mortal man. But there's all another group of people here. Look at verses 27 through 31, and... We're just going to briefly summarize it. And following him, this is Jesus, was a large crowd of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting. And reading that, I was thinking, why were these women weeping at, at Jesus carrying a cross? And all, you, know, you can say all kinds of things about here, but you have to admit these were good-hearted women. They saw suffering. And, and when they saw suffering, no, ma- no matter how much they knew about Jesus or or how Lily knew about Jesus. This is a man suffering. It, it breaks our heart. But Jesus turns to them and he speaks out to them. He says, daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. In, in many ways, you could say this, as far as what you learn from the, the women or the warning to the women, um, don't be, be surprised when life's not fair. They probably thought this is much more brutal of a, of a suffering that someone ought to be led to the cross. And, and he begins to talk to them, look, you think it's not fair for me, but you're going you're gonna to come a time when you think whatever's going to happen to you is not fair either. And we need to understand that following Jesus is not always easy. The Bible says we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. They're called according to his purpose, but it doesn't say everything that, in life that is good. And they didn't think it was fair for Jesus to go to the cross, and they weren't going to think it's going to be fair for them what's going to happen to them next, but he began to warn them. And then he goes on, he says this, oh, let, me, let me be very, very plain to you. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nurse. You're going to think about your, the greatest blessing for uh, a family is to have children, uh, children blessed by the Lord. He said, you're going to be thankful that some of you or wish some of you had never had children. Why? Because of the pain that's going to be coming soon. Then, then they'll begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? There are parts in the Bible you read go, what in the world are you talking about, Right? And, and, and they didn't know, they understood the warning. Okay, don't be weeping for me. You know, you ought to be weeping for yourself. And that's really the, the second point I want to make. Sub point is realize you might be crying for the wrong person. 
Have you ever done that? Your heart breaks and you find out that person really wasn't innocent. They were actually guilty. You should have been praying for the other people or crying for the other person. The Bible says weep for those who weep and rejoice for those who rejoice. You know, weep for the right people. And he's saying, look, obviously I'm suffering here, but there's a greater cry you ought to be crying for for those who, who miss who I am and what it's all about. In 70 AD, and then later on, it says in the end times, Revelation chapter 6, 6, 16 through 18, you can look at that passage later. There's going to come a time when the wrath of God comes, and, and, and people will realize that they have been part of that whole crowd that crucified Jesus. Whether we were there physically at the time, but our sin is that which brings Jesus to judgment. And, and really what he's saying is you need to be alert and ready for what happens next. And he gives a, a strange parable. He says, he says in verse 31, For if they do those things when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? And you're thinking, well, where did you throw that in for? Because they were seeing Jesus, who was at least convicted of a crime, though he had not committed that crime. And they th- felt somehow he was a threat to Rome or a threat to Israel. And he, he, he came not for the kingdom to be set up here on earth, but in people's hearts. If they're willing to put to death someone who has, is not deserving of death, or to put in the analogy saying here, to set on fire that which normally you don't set on fire, if you've ever gone camping and you're looking for firewood, you look for the greenest piece of, of, of tree you can, right? No, you don't, put, you don't put green trees or flowered trees or, or evergreens. You, know, you, you look for something that's been there on the ground for a while because it's dry. You, you light it and it'll, it'll be consumed and he said, look, you're looking at me, and actually, I'm guiltless. There's going to come a time when those who are ready to be put in fire, the fire of judgment will receive what they deserve. Weep for those who aren't ready for what's happening next. And we don't know what happens to this particular crowd, like we did Simon, but, you know, after Jesus died and rose again, there was a group of 120 that gathered together to start the church. And at the first preaching message of Peter, 3,000 came to know the Lord. It's quite possible those in that crowd that heard this warning realized this is what Jesus was talking about. Escape the wrath of God that will come. And they saw Jesus differently because they saw him at the cross. And then finally, there's one other group that I just want to throw out to us all this morning. He goes on, and at least Luke does, and proclaims this. Two others also who were criminals were were being led away to be put to death with him. And and when they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him. This is Jesus. And the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. And here's the the last statement I want for us to focus on this morning. But Jesus was saying, this is on the cross, and this is first words from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Later on this afternoon, you look at 1 Corinthians 2.8, which basically says the same thing, that no one totally understood. I mean, even those who were following Jesus that, that fled, but this truly is the Son of God. And what, what's, what's the lesson we can learn here from the promise given to the Roman soldiers and maybe some of those around him as well? And it's this, and I put it this way in your outline. God is able to completely forgive you for the worst thing you have ever done. Now, sometimes we get proud before God, and we, we're, we're always comparing ourselves with others, and as long as we find someone worse than us, we don't feel too bad, right? 
But some of us realize that our sin is as, as bad as anybody else's, and we are amazed that God could forgive us. And really what we're saying here, and, I, and I've counseled so many people that have, have done certain things in their life, horrific things. And some of them maybe even crossed the line of faith. They've come to know Jesus, and they're still overburdened by their sins of, of their past. How, how could God forgive me for whatever you want to fill in the blank for? And by the way, God says that the greatest sin you could, you could actually, I guess, commit and continually commit is not giving Jesus the love and honor and, and praise due his name, which I think would probably include all of us, right? Because of the great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. How many of us have broken the two greatest commandments repeatedly? But, so whatever, whatever sin, however, and there are, there are the sins of, of lives that have been damaged by our activity or our words, here's, here's the message of hope. If I, if I were to talk about a physical sin that I would not have wanted to have been a part of, it would, it would have been this sin, right? I, I wouldn't want to have been the people instrumentally that put Jesus on the cross. Anybody want to sign up for that one? And yet Jesus said, forgive them. Forgive them of this. So the hope you have is, and the confidence you have is that, that God can forgive you of any sin, the worst you've ever done. And you know when God forgives, you know how God forgives? Not like us, who sometimes dredge it up and we want to use it to our advantage. He takes that sin and sends it as far as the east and from the west. He bears it in the deepest sea. And the Bible says, Amazingly, that he will remember that sin no more. And so if God is not bringing it up to his memory bank to reflect upon, we shouldn't either. And every time a sin that you've committed resurfaces and you feel overwhelmed by it, just remind yourself that God has forgiven you that sin and he remembers it no more. We alluded to this, I think, last week is that the Roman soldiers who were given that promise as they were torturing Jesus. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. There was a Roman centurion who came to faith because he saw Jesus at the cross. So what's the so what this morning? The so what is what we would expect. How have you considered the cross? Have you learned the lessons of Simon and, and realized that, that this is what life's all about, not living for yourself, but for him who died and rose again on your behalf? That you might have been far from him, but when you come into his presence, you're convinced of who he is and what he wants to do in your life, and you're willing to carry the cross that God has given you to, to live out. The assignment that he gives you, and he gives us different assignments, but are you living out the assignment he's given you to to, to sacrificially and, and joyfully live the life he wants you to live. Uh, the, the warning to the, to the women at, at the cross, are, 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 you, are you recognizing that sometimes we feel bad for other people, but we ought to feel bad for the things that really matter? What have you done with Jesus? And then to recognize the greatest promise ever is that God is able to forgive us of even the worst that we've ever done and that our lives can be made us white, in fact, whiter than snow. Not because we deserve it, because he's willing to give it. What have you done with the cross and the one on the cross? Let's pray together. 
Father, I would pray for us that we might, we might think of this Christmas season in light of not only how you came, but then how you lived and then how you died. And might we realize that though others scoff at the, the opportunity to know the supreme being of this universe in a personal way, that really we ought to cry for them and, and do whatever we can to, to bring them hope by sharing with them the peace that we have in Jesus and the hope that we have in Jesus. Father, this, this Christmas season, as we see others who are maybe overburdened with the cares of this world, might we, might we share with them the, the one who cares for them? And Father, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, might they recognize that Jesus reaches out. He invites us to as many as receive him, to them who believe on their name. He will give them right to become children of God in his name. Might each of us listen to the voice of God today, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.